We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 191 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, November 19th, 2021, a day after yet another win for the New England Patriots, 25-0 the final at the Atlanta Falcons on Thursday Night Football. The Pats have won five consecutive games, have gone from two and four to seven and four. Bill Belichick has the Pats back to being oh so formidable in the AFC. The Pats defense is excellent. The Maryland product, JC Jackson, is an interception machine, and Mac Jones can play. And I don't know about you, but that's what stands out to me as much as anything. The Pats took Mac Jones with the number 15 pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Our team, the Washington football team, had the number 19 pick in the 2021 NFL draft. You would think that Washington trading up to take Jones was more than doable, and thus Washington must have decided that it did not like Jones. Well, was Washington wrong about Jones? Was Washington wrong about the Mac attack? Uh, Right now, the answer appears to be maybe Possibly, yes. We'll see, all right? I don't want to overreact to what's happening in the moment here, but the Daddy Mac on Thursday night, 22 of 26 for 207 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He took three sacks. He's not perfect. He's not dynamic, but he can play, okay? He's a really smart player, and he's showing that he can play. Look, when Bill Belichick spends a first-round pick on you, okay, that right there says something. That right there gives you instant credibility. And Mac Jones is backing that up with his performance this season. And, you know, Mac Jones to me was always kind of like, okay, high floor, low ceiling. So maybe he never gets that much better than what he is now. So we have to see, right? We can't go nuts with this. But in the moment, in the moment, you say to yourself as a Washington fan, 
as we continue along this never-ending quest for franchise quarterback, well, maybe we should have traded up to take Mac Jones. Anyway, hello and welcome to a Football Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We are well into the month of November. Thanksgiving is less than a week away. Football is on the mind, and we have football, lots and lots of football to talk about on this show, in addition to other sports. But in-depth preview of the Washington football team's game at the Carolina Panthers this Sunday afternoon at 1 begins. Next segment, uh, you will, by the end of this installment of the podcast, be so prepared for this game. You'll be so prepared that you'll be ready to play uh, in the game. The latest on injuries for Washington. I'll examine a shaky situation for Washington at tight end for this game. Washington may well be down to its third and fourth string tight ends for the game. Uh, Samus Reyes, I hope you're ready. Uh, I'll talk Washington offensive line, including how Charles Leno Jr. is having maybe the most underappreciated season of any Washington player. You will hear the best of what Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio had to say on Thursday during their post-practice press conferences, including Jack with an intriguing theory on what the Panthers' plan at quarterback for Sunday may be. Might we see a two-headed quarterback monster for the Panthers. Maybe not just Cam Newton at quarterback for the Panthers on Sunday. Also, special guest John Ellis, the co-host of The Roar, which is a Carolina Panthers podcast. He also hosts a show in Afternoon Drive on 104.9 Fox Sports Upstate in South Carolina. John knows the Panthers exceptionally well, watches a lot of tape. He'll tell us all that we need know about the Panthers for Sunday's game against Washington, and I have for you my rhyming keys for a Washington win. Yes, I will rhyme the path to victory for the W to the F to the T, and I will give you a prediction for the game. Also, I'll give you my Goldilocks for a big college football week 12 picks against the spreads for Maryland home to number six Michigan, Virginia at number 18 Pitt, Virginia Tech at Miami, and Navy home to East Carolina. I will post game an ugly, but not exactly shocking, Wizards loss at the Miami Heat on Thursday night. 112-97 the final. The Wiz were without like half their team for this game. And I'll talk Nationals late in the show. Juan Soto did not win the National League MVP award on Thursday evening. An ex-national named Bryce Harper won the National League MVP award on Thursday evening. I have some thoughts on that. And on the winds of change that have been a blowing in the Nats organization, the Nats have made some major changes regarding player development, which uh, has not been so good in recent years. If you're a Nats fan, you need to be aware of what's going on internally right now. Uh, remember to subscribe to the Al Galdi podcast. If you don't already subscribe to this podcast, uh, subscribing costs you nothing, literally nothing. It is free. El Zilcho, okay? Who doesn't want stuff that's free, especially these days? Uh, and also, if you're listening on an iPhone or an iPad especially, please remember to give this podcast a five-star rating and write a quick one or two-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I get so many terrific emails from you guys. Email from Joe, writes Joe, as an old man, I have an inherent bias against women in sports media. They really have to be knowledgeable to win me over. Nikki hits it out of the park every time. Good guest. 
Uh, thank you for that, Joe. Yes, Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. He was terrific as a guest on Wednesday's show, episode 189. If you haven't yet heard our conversation, I would highly encourage you to check out our conversation, perhaps sometime this weekend. Uh, email from Andy in Leesburg, Virginia on Taylor Heineke. Writes Andy, can we just pretend that Heineke was our third round pick in the 2021 draft, who had to start earlier than we wanted because our veteran quarterback went down in game one with an injury. If he was, wouldn't everyone love him? He's outperforming all of the first-round quarterbacks this year, except for Mac Jones. Heineke is outplaying Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson, parentheses, and Trey Lance looks lost. If Heineke was our third-round draft pick this year, the rest of the league would consider the pick a steal, and we would be wondering if we had found our quarterback of the future. I don't know if Heineke can be a top-10 quarterback in the NFL, but I want to give him the entire season before we make up our minds. I realize how important it is for us to find a top-10 quarterback like Joe Burrow or Josh Allen if we want to make the playoffs every year. What I don't understand is why fans are so frustrated with Taylor Heineke. I don't want to decide whether he can be a starter in this league until after Week 17. Very smart, very reasoned email, Andy. The pushback would be, that within those aforementioned rookie quarterbacks is upside, and that with Heineke, there isn't as much upside because he'll turn 29 on March 15th. Now, that would be the pushback. I don't necessarily subscribe to that pushback, in part because of the still very small sample size of games for Heineke as an NFL quarterback. It would be one thing if this was, you know, year six of Taylor Heineke getting opportunities as an NFL quarterback. That's not what this is. I mean, Taylor Heineke in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last Sunday made just his ninth start, regular season and postseason, as a Washington quarterback, and just his 10th start, regular season and postseason, as an NFL quarterback. And yet he was outstanding and outplayed the great Tom Brady, outplayed the GOAT. Each game is an increase of the sample size of Taylor Heineke as an NFL quarterback. And so with each game, our opinions can change. When he was struggling during that four-game losing streak, and you realize that he had only had two good games this season, right? The win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in Week 2, and the win at the Atlanta Falcons in Week 4, it felt like Heineke was proving himself to be a bottom third of the NFL QB1 and an upper third of the NFL QB2. You know, bad starter, good backup, that kind of a thing. But a performance like the one in the win over the Bucks is reason to think otherwise. Uh, all I have ever preached with Heineke is an open mind, which obviously, Andy, you have. Uh, many people, including a number of people in the media, do not have that with Taylor Heineke. Uh, they do not want to have that with Taylor Heineke. It's bizarre. They have this bias against him that, to me, is just so unwarranted, but I believe it's based on these people having been so wrong about Heineke initially, and so the goalposts keep moving. Have you noticed that with the Taylor Heineke conversation? The anti-Heineke-ites, okay, the Taylor Heineke deniers, the Taylor Heineke haters, the Tay-Tay haters, the Taters, 
They keep moving the goalposts. Remember, the initial take with Heineke as a Washington quarterback was that he had no chance against the Bucs in that playoff game last January. Then the take was that Heineke's performance in the playoff game against the Bucs wasn't as good as people made it out to be, in part because Devin White didn't play in the game. Then the take was that Heineke had no business competing to be Washington's starting quarterback this past offseason. Then the take was that Heineke had no chance of staying healthy. Now the take is that Heineke is nothing more than a bad starting quarterback and maybe a good backup quarterback. Do you notice how the goalposts keep moving? And look, ultimately, it may be that he is a bad starting quarterback slash good backup quarterback, okay? I'm not convinced of anything with the guy. I just know that I do want to see more. So I'm with you, Andy. Let's see more of Taylor Heineke. And by the way, even if Heineke is good the rest of the season, that doesn't necessarily mean that Washington shouldn't take a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft. Because here's the deal. Until Washington has itself a Joe Burrow slash Josh Allen slash, you know, whatever other name you want to use, until Washington has itself a certified stud franchise quarterback, Washington needs to keep searching for a certified stud franchise quarterback. The benefit of Heineke playing well the rest of the season would be that Washington might not have to, say, force itself to take a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft if the team doesn't truly like any of the quarterbacks in the draft. But, you know, even then, there's an argument to be made for, even if you don't love the quarterback, take the quarterback because you never know, you know? So we'll see. Email from Devin on the Washington football team, writes Devin, just once when doing your ad for Paulson and Nace, will you say your face is their case? After seeing Chase Young be less than a dominant force this year, I think the only position worthy of a top 10 pick in the draft is quarterback. A good quarterback seems to be the only position in football that can significantly and consistently impact the outcome of games. If a team is a top 10 pick and does not need a quarterback, that team should trade back and get multiple first and second round picks. It's funny you wrote that, Devin, because I've had the exact same thought lately. Whatever you think about Chase Young, he can only impact a game so much. No position in football impacts the game like quarterback. So yeah, while I wouldn't just put a blanket rule on that, I do think that there's great logic in that approach of unless you're getting yourself a quarterback with a top 10 pick, just trade down, you know, and acquire more assets. I think there is a lot of logic behind that philosophy. And yes, as the great Jackie Child said on Seinfeld, your face is my case. Your face is my case. (laughs) Yes, there it is. And if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Uh, Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. So Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces, they are DMV through and through. Big Washington football team fans Uh, Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both 
past presidents of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. Look, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people, smart people. These are people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. No stress, no pressure, Whatever questions you have, get answered. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right. The three and six Washington football team will be at the five and five Carolina Panthers this Sunday afternoon at one. Will this game be the revenge of Ron? Uh, Ron Rivera. All eyes will be on him in his return to Carolina. He was, in case you haven't heard, the Panthers head coach uh, from January 2011 to December 2019. He was fired by the Panthers after a home loss to Washington. And he now is the Don of the Washington football team. He is Don Ron. Uh, next segment, I'll talk Washington defense, including some good stuff from Jack Del Rio on the Panthers' potential plan for quarterback for the game. And on Christian McCaffrey, yes, Jack actually opened up a little bit on Thursday. Can you believe that? But this segment, we talk Washington offense. Curtis Samuel on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to, yes, the groin injury. So Curtis Samuel almost certainly will be out again for this Sunday. He has played in a total of two games and on a total of 30 offensive snaps for Washington this regular season. Enough said on that. Uh, What is of particular concern right now for Washington's offense is the situation at tight end. So Logan Thomas does not seem to be tracking toward being activated off the reserve injured list this week as he deals with his hamstring injury. And Ricky Seals-Jones on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to the hip ailment that plagued him in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field this past Sunday. So John Bates and Semis Reyes appear as if they'll be Washington's top two tight ends for Sunday. Although Samus is dealing with a hip injury, though he on Thursday was a full participant in practice off having been limited on Wednesday. Uh, Bates in the win over the Bucks had three receptions for 25 yards on three targets in playing on 64% of Washington's offensive snaps. He did have an ear fumble, but he was ruled down on the play. He also had a big catch. Uh, Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's third quarter first and goal one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. The fourth snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke, a third and four 18-yard shotgun completion to John Bates. Scott Turner on Thursday did his weekly post-practice press conference. Here was Scott on John Bates. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's not. I'm not giving away any secrets here. Like John, you know, he can't run as well as Logan or Ricky, but he catches the ball every bit as good as those guys. He's a big target. He has excellent quickness. Um, so there's there's just certain things that he's able to do. I mean, you know, the seam route. That's a big target. The safety went to hit him and and missed. You know what I mean? Because I think a little bit of that. You know, you go to hit a big guy like that. It's not the most fun thing to do you know so that, that's something that he brings um you know that he brings he's got a little more size than those guys and um you know he does a nice job of, of blocking and he's even getting better and better but you know he's a young player that uh that's progressing you know and he's gonna have to you know step up for us just like he did in the second half now he's got to do it over the course of a whole game so Washington took John Bates in the fourth round of the 2021 NFL Draft at a Boise State. He did not catch many passes during his collegiate career. Bates, over 46 career games at Boise State, had 47 receptions, including just two touchdown receptions. Scott Turner on Thursday on what Bates needs to work on to improve as a route runner. Um, just always just, you know, playing fast I was you know playing with speed I think his his strength and what he's going to be do is uh, is the quickness part of it um you know just doing the details as far as the depths of the route you know uh releases you know what I mean at what point to put your, put your foot in the ground and separate away all those things um you know protecting the football once you do catch it you know obviously he you know they called him down but the ball came out you know we can't have those types of things happen um but the just the, the biggest thing is just honing in on the details and doing exactly what you know what what he's coached to do and being at the right spot when uh, when he needs to be. Well, keep this in mind about John Bates, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Todd McShay on the ESPN telecast of Day Three of the 2021 NFL Draft said that Bates catches the football as well as any tight end in the 2021 draft class, not named Kyle Pitts. So at the very least, John Bates has that going for him. Uh, he does need to hold on to the football, as we saw in the win over the Bucks. But barring the unforeseen, John Bates will be Washington's number one tight end on Sunday at the Panthers. And then there's Samus Reyes, the slaying Chilean, as our friend Burgundy blog has called Samus. So Samus in the win over the Bucks was not targeted in playing on 5% of Washington's offensive snaps. Those were his first career NFL regular season offensive snaps. He had been playing on special teams, but not on offense. Remember, this is a guy who prior to this year had never played football at any meaningful level. He's a former basketball player at Tulane. He's the first Chilean-born player in NFL history. He has spent the entire season on Washington's 53-man roster as Washington has thought enough of him to not put him on the practice squad and expose him to other teams. Scott Turner on Thursday was asked if the plan with Samus Reyes for this season had been to stash him on the active roster and never actually play him. No, it's not necessarily that. It's not like we, you know, didn't want to play him. It's just that we had guys ahead of him, you know, on the depth chart. And maybe it is because of that, you know what I mean? But it wasn't like necessarily this is the plan. Um, we we wanted to play him based on, you know, where he sat with the rest of our team. And uh, But he's been a guy that you can see the improvement every day. Um, I think that, yeah, this time having not being forced into live action will be good for him. Um, but, you know, he's going to get an opportunity, you know, whether it's this week or or, you know, the way, you know, things have been going, you know, at some point in, in the season. And, um, but I do think that, yeah, being able to learn and not just be like, hey, you just started playing football, 
how, you know, you played in your first game ever of any level in the preseason. Now it's live. I think a little, this little bit of time and being able to practice and, you know, acquire reps has been a good thing for him. All right, so Washington's situation at tight end for Sunday at the Panthers is dicey. Washington's offensive line situation looks much better. Samuel Cosme on Thursday was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to his ankle. Remember, he has not played in each of the last four games, although it was said that he was available for the win over the Bucks in an emergency situation. Cornelius Lucas was Washington's starting right tackle in the game. Brandon Sheriff on Thursday was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to a knee. He and the win over the Bucks returned from a four-game absence caused by a knee injury. Sadiq Charles on Thursday was limited in practice of having not practiced on Wednesday due to illness. So Washington on Sunday at the Panthers could finally have back the starting right side of the offensive line, could finally have Samuel Cosme as a starting right tackle and Brandon Sheriff as the starting right guard. Uh, that has not been the case in the same game since the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. Scott Turner on Thursday on Samuel Cosme perhaps being rusty. Uh, I think he looks like he's picking stuff back up. There's a little bit. And it wasn't, I, I don't think it was so much as a rookie. It's just, you know, coming back from the injury and just the limited mobility, you know. Um, but as far as like mentally and everything like that, he's been staying in it the whole time. And, and I think that, uh, I think he'll be fine um, when, he, when he gets back out there. So Samuel Cosby could be back this Sunday. Brandon Sheriff was back last Sunday. Scott Turner on Thursday on having Sheriff back. You know, Brandon's the leader, not only of the offensive line, but just um, of our offense. You know, he's one of the leaders of our offense. So just to have his presence in there, yeah, it brings, a, you know, some confidence to the rest of those guys. Um, there's a certain physicality, obviously, that he plays with and consistency where you know, you know, he's going to get, get his job done. And, um, you know, I think just he's a guy that guys like playing next to, you know, for the offensive linemen and, you know, having Chase out and now Taylor uh, – Tyler in there, sorry, saying Taylor. Tyler in there, uh, you know, having Brandon next to him is a big, big uh, ad. Yeah, Chase Roulier is on the reserve injured list due to him having suffered that fractured left fibula and potentially ligament damage to his left ankle and the loss at the Denver Broncos in week eight. Tyler Larson was Washington center in the win over the Bucks. By the way, while we're talking Washington offensive line, do you know who quietly is having a really nice season? Charles Leno Jr. He has been Washington starting left tackle in every game. In fact, Leno is the only player who has played on every one of Washington's offensive snaps this season. Leno through week 10 was number six among all qualified offensive tackles in the NFL in ESPN's pass block win rate and was number six among all qualified offensive tackles in the NFL in ESPN's run block win rate. Remember, the Chicago Bears released Charles Leno Jr. They released him this past May 3rd. Washington signed him on May 15th, and he has been quite good as Washington's starting left tackle this season. Scott Turner on Thursday on Leno. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been great, you know, to have a guy that lines up at left tackle and and does his job, you know, and and, and does above that. I mean, again, he's been really doing a nice job of moving guys in the run game. Um, you know, he stays in front of his guy, blocks the guys in the pass pro. Again, it's another veteran. So just that leadership, you know, um, for when we have a guy like Brandon out, you know, a guy like Charles can, you know, can step up. Um, 
but no, I think the line, you know, and they've dealt with a little adversity with, you know, some moving pieces here, but, you know, they've done a nice job, you know, of all year of, of both in the pass and the run game. Yes, they have. And then rounding out Washington's Thursday injury report on offense, Terry McLaurin on Thursday was a full participant in practice of having been limited on Wednesday due to a shoulder. And Antonio Gibson on Thursday was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to his problematic shin. As we've discussed, Gibson's numbers for the win over the Bucs weren't great, but he did make a number of big plays in that game. Finished with 24 carries for 64 yards and two touchdowns and two receptions for 14 yards on two targets and playing on 63% of Washington's offensive snaps. But he made a number of significant plays, especially on the two drives that resulted in his touchdown runs. He also had an ultra-physical run in the game. Washington's third offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's second quarter, third and six, 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter. First snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a very physical and punishing first and 10 five-yard under center handoff run on which he plowed right in to linebacker Devin White. Scott Turner on Thursday on Antonio Gibson's performance in the win over the Bucks. Um, Antonio, the thing that I was really the most happy with him about in the game was how hard he ran. You know, it didn't show up in the yards per carry per se, but um, when you look at that defense and how successful they are at stopping the run uh, and then how he ran the ball and then specifically how he ran the ball at the end, you know what I mean, and finished, how we finished that game running the football on that last drive, uh, that was the thing. And that's what, you know, he does. And, you know, we've talked about earlier in the year about, you know, his body and not wearing down. So, you know, you can't, as much as I'd love to do everything with him, like you can't have it both ways. We're going to pick and choose our spots um, to, to do some different kinds of stuff with him. And fortunately for us, we have a guy who's just excellent, you know, in, in that role in JD, who's been a highly, highly productive um, receiver. But Antonio does have a little bit more, the, or not, a little different that he brings you just because of the size, you know, and then doing some of the stuff. Now, he did – Antonio had two big catches. One was on a second down. One was on a third down. Um, so, you know, he could do some of the stuff on third down, but some early down stuff is good for him as well. Yeah, remember all of the comps of Gibson to Christian McCaffrey, right? Washington wants Antonio Gibson to be its Christian McCaffrey. Well, it's worth pondering that as we approach Washington playing at Christian McCaffrey and the Panthers this Sunday. Uh, Gibson hasn't quite worked out into being Christian McCaffrey this season, in part because of Gibson's health, but also because Gibson still isn't involved in Washington's passing game a ton. Gibson for the season has just 19 receptions, but Gibson is battling through this shin thing, and Gibson did have a nice game last Sunday. Up next, we shift the focus to Washington's defense for the game at the Panthers on Sunday. Some good stuff from Jack Del Rio on Thursday on what the Panthers may be thinking at quarterback for Sunday and on his history with Christian McCaffrey. We'll get to all of that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. We continue the Washington football team conversation in preparation for Sunday afternoon's game at the Carolina Panthers at 1. Next segment, our special guest, John Ellis, the co-host of The Roar, which is a Carolina Panthers podcast. He's really good when it comes to talking Panthers. will tell us a lot about the current team and also about Ron Rivera and Marty Herney. And then after my conversation with John, I will present to you my rhyming keys for a Washington win at the Panthers and a prediction for the game. But right now we talk Washington defense. Good news on Thursday. Kendall Fuller was a limited participant in practice of having not practiced on Wednesday. He's dealing with a knee. Status for Sunday not yet known, but him not practicing on back-to-back days would have been an ominous sign for his availability for Sunday at the Panthers. At least now, there is some hope. Uh, Also, Benjamin St. Juice on Thursday was limited in practice of having not practiced on Wednesday due to the concussion that kept him from playing in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last Sunday. So as with Fuller, no guarantees with St. Juice, but at least there is some hope. Uh, Danny Johnson on Thursday was a full participant in practice for a second consecutive day, but he is on the injury report with a wrist ailment. Also, Daryl Roberts is a possibility for Sunday. Uh, Not that, you know, he's some savior, but Washington on Wednesday did announce that Roberts returned to practice, giving the team 21 days to activate him off the reserve injured list. He has been on that since October 13th due to a quadriceps injury that was suffered in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5. But Roberts has not played on any of Washington's defensive snaps this season. But what about Washington's secondary? Both Chase Young and Montez Sweat now being on the reserve injured list, in theory, puts even more pressure on the secondary. Uh, The secondary certainly played well in the win over the Bucs. Jack Del Rio on Thursday did his weekly post-practice press conference. Here was Jack on his impressions of Washington's secondary in recent weeks. I mean, you know, I'm not a big evaluator of of things. Um, You know, we're working hard at it. I think we've seen some improvement and, um, you know, we still have some work to do, a lot of work to do. Yeah, I think that that's more than fair. I mean, one good game does not a good secondary make. Uh, Washington through week 10 per football outsiders DVOA metric was number 27 in the NFL in total defense, number 29 in the NFL in pass defense, and number six in the NFL in run defense. We've talked about that. Washington's run defense this season actually has been quite good. The pass defense has been the problem. And Washington's pass defense for Sunday will be really interesting. We anticipate that Cam Newton will be the Panther starting quarterback 
on Sunday. He, in his first game back with the Panthers, did not start, but he did have a touchdown pass and a touchdown run in playing on just nine offensive snaps. This in a 34-10 win at the Arizona Cardinals last Sunday, during which P.J. Walker was the Panthers' starting quarterback. Now, Panthers head coach Matt Rule on Wednesday said that things were trending in the direction of Cam starting on Sunday. Here was Jack Del Rio on Thursday on what he's emphasizing for his defense regarding Cam for this Sunday. Well, you know, clearly they, they have their system. Um, he, there's no way he can learn all of their system in two weeks. So there's going to be um, the part that they pick and choose and decide to, to use. Um, we anticipate seeing both quarterbacks. Um, and so we've prepared that way, you know, knowing that um, you know, some of the things that Cam's good at, I'm sure they'll utilize, which they, they showed a little bit last week. Um, you know, some of the Q run, some of the Q power, um, you know, some of that stuff that, that he does that he's unique. You know, he's a unique guy. So super talented um, guy with, with the history. So it was, a, you know, the big backdrop going into this game, you know, with Cam starting and Coach Rivera going back and all those kinds of things. But we're just trying to work as hard as we can to get ready to, to play. All right. So how about that from Jack? Quote, we anticipate seeing both quarterbacks. End quote. You know, it's tricky with Cam because he did look good, albeit in limited work last Sunday. You know that he's going to be motivated this Sunday, but he was not good last season. Now, there is a belief that Cam's struggles last season had to do with him having issues of having COVID-19 because he did begin the 2020 regular season playing well as a New England Patriots starting quarterback. He then got COVID-19 and then he largely struggled. But Whatever the case, Cam's numbers from last regular season were not good. Uh, Cam over 15 games had just eight touchdown passes versus 10 interceptions. He finished 30th out of 33 qualified quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR at 39.4. Carson Wentz's total QBR for last regular season was better than Cam's. But we know how sports work, and we know how bad this Washington defense has been this season. And so to me, the idea of Cam in his first start back with the Panthers, facing his former head coach, Ron Rivera, torching Washington, isn't implausible. Uh, Panthers have some good receivers, including Maryland product DJ Moore. Uh, Panthers took him with the number 24 pick in the 2018 NFL draft. He this season has 57 receptions for 701 yards and three touchdowns on 95 targets. But no Panthers skill position player is more notorious than running back Christian McCaffrey. Now, he did miss five consecutive games due to a hamstring injury, but McCaffrey has been back now for two games, and he had a big game in that win at the Cardinals last Sunday. 13 carries for 95 yards, 10 receptions for 66 yards on 10 targets. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on McCaffrey. Yes, yeah, supremely talented guy. Uh, I, I watched him back in high school at Valor Christian when uh, my son Luke was, was quarterback on that team uh, and they won a state title. And um, it was no surprise that he would go on and be special in college, and he was, and then no surprise to me that he would go on and be special in the NFL because he's a special talent. Uh, he can run it. He can, he can catch it. He can, he can throw it, actually. I mean, he, he can do it all. And, um, you know, he adds a dynamic to their offense that um, – I'm, I'm sure they miss when they don't have him available, but he looks like he's back and healthy and ready to roll. So how about that? Jackson Luke played high school football 
with McCaffrey. What stood out to Jack about McCaffrey when Jack watched McCaffrey as a high school player? Um, contact balance. Um, he runs stronger than uh, people think. People think he's a smaller guy. He, he's not a small guy. He's, he's a muscular guy. He's not, um, I mean, he's not a big bruiser, but he is a, a guy that can run through tackles. Uh, and then he's very explosive. You know, he makes people miss in the open field, and he can finish and go the distance. So, you know, he's a guy, whether he's running the ball or catching the ball out of the backfield, uh, he is a major threat. Yes, he is. Uh, Ron Rivera's final season as Panthers head coach was that Christian McCaffrey 1,000-yard, 1,000-yard season. Christian McCaffrey in the 2019 regular season rushed for 1,387 yards on 4.8 yards per carry and had 116 receptions for 1,005 yards. He became just the third running back in NFL history to have a 1,000-yard, 1,000-yard regular season, joining Roger Craig, who had his in 1985, and Marshall Falk, who had his in 1999. Look, it would be ridiculous to have, like, supreme faith in Washington's defense for this Sunday, given that the defense has had one good game this season, and given that, again, both Chase Young and Montez Sweat are on the reserve injured list. Like, whatever you think about those two, it's not a good thing that both of those guys are on injured reserve. But that one good game for this Washington defense this season uh, was the last game. And it's not like the edge-rushing duo of Chase Young and Montez Sweat was killing it this season. I do think that there's at least a decent chance that Washington's defense will be just fine without Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So am I expecting defensive excellence from Washington on Sunday? No. Am I hoping for defensive excellence from Washington on Sunday? Yes. Do I think that defensive excellence from Washington on Sunday is possible? Yes. There's no good reason to me that Washington's defense can't be really good again. The question is, will Washington's defense be really good again? And time now to get smartened up regarding the Washington football team's opponent on Sunday afternoon, the Carolina Panthers. Very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, John Ellis, the co-host of The Roar which is a Carolina Panthers podcast. Uh, John also hosts a show in Afternoon Drive on 104.9 Fox Sports Upstate in South Carolina. John, very nice to have you on the podcast, man. How are you? Hey, Al, I'm great. Uh, From one radio guy to another, this is fun to join you. And uh, a Panthers, Washington football team. Uh, There's a lot going on there in terms of storylines that we know each other a little bit, don't we? we got some familiar faces crossing paths. We do. This is a very incestuous matchup. Uh, no question about that. <laughs> uh, I guess let's start with the principal storyline, Ron Rivera. Uh, how is Ron in Carolina remembered as Panthers head coach? Oh, I think very fondly, Al. You know, I, a lot of the folks here in the Charlotte you know, area media think the world of Ron Rivera. In fact, his last press conference here in Carolina, there's a famous shot of him going around and shaking the hand of everybody that covered the team. And, and you know, very fondly, uh, he went around and just made sure he let folks know how much he appreciated their professionalism. The, the feeling is mutual on our side. Uh, my first interaction with Ron was the first training camp he was here. 
Uh, he's nothing but gracious to me. In terms of his legacy with the fans, uh, you know, look, I think there were times where this team had underachieved at moments. There were some questionable decisions with Cam Newton's health that tied back into the Ron Rivera structure, and, and, and some of that was laid at his doorstep. I don't know if that's totally fair. But overall, I think he's probably remembered as uh, right there with John Fox as two of the best coaches this franchise has, has ever seen. They've both made the Super Bowl, both had great defenses, and uh, I think they compare very favorably. So, yeah, Ron is Ron is the local guy, too. I mean, he spent a lot of time here in Charlotte, obviously in the community, building up charitable operations with his wife, Stephanie, and uh, just a great family, and, and obviously still comes around quite a bit. So we, we love Ron. Yeah, and Ron's had a lot of nice things to say about his time in Carolina. Another mega storyline for this game, of course, is Cam Newton. Uh, The big news with the Panthers over the last week or so is the return of Cam Newton. He accounted for two touchdowns on just nine offensive snaps, and the Panthers' big win at the Arizona Cardinals last Sunday wasn't the starting quarterback. P.J. Walker was, but it certainly looks like Cam will be the Panthers' starting quarterback this Sunday against Washington. I know that you're a big fan of Cam. Uh, what do you think of Cam being back, and what does Cam have left? Yeah, I think uh, from my perspective, I wouldn't call it necessarily being too much of a fan, but I guess I'm less critical than the average analyst out there in terms of where he is and his progression and what he has left in the tank. Here's my thinking on Cam. The foot is fine. We saw him last season with New England rush for 12 touchdowns. That's always been his bread and butter. That's a big part of the reason Matt Brewer, Scott Fitterer, and namely Dave Tepper, by the way, and this is very much a Dave Tepper sort of decision here, bringing in a quarterback that not only can run the ball, can get them going physically downhill, because the problem here for, for a long time has been offensive line movement backwards in terms of pass protection. Matt Rule stated he wants to be more physical. This was a good fit. Uh, other than the fact that the marriage ended terribly two years ago, <laughs> that was never a logical um I guess fit from that perspective, Al, in terms of these two sides reuniting, but they've come back together in remarkable fashion. Uh, Cam Newton, to me, still has the high-level traits in terms of making throws. What you saw last year with New England was some sloppy tape. He did have COVID, not making excuses, but that did take away some of his tempo there. I think the important takeaway from Newton, he looks cleaner right now when he throws the ball. The motion looks tighter. I like what I saw in that game in terms of the sprint right option. He hit Robbie on the shoulder there. Had some nice velocity on it, too. And, of course, the the run play to the edge there, knocking off two linebackers, rolling over Isaiah Simmons at the pylon. Those are not easy, easy things to do as a human being, let alone an NFL quarterback. So what he brings to you, he's no worse than Sam Darnold. We, we can both agree on that. He's definitely no worse than Teddy Bridgewater. And he gives you that extra element with Christian McCaffrey, where they can run off one another in the read option game and put defenses in conflict. So I think it very much lines up with you know Matt Rule's philosophy of controlling the clock. Let's not waste a year of good defense on turning the ball over incessantly with this pass game. I think you'll see you know sort of a 60% maybe run share with this team moving forward. Washington defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio at his post-practice press conference on Thursday said that he's preparing Washington to face both Cam Newton and P.J. Walker. Do you think that P.J. Walker will play on Sunday, or do you think that this is Cam's game? Um, If you had asked me my gut feeling on it, I think Cam will play the entire game. Now, here's why. P.J. is a good quarterback. He's a good backup. He has some good traits about him in terms of velocity and get the ball into tight spaces but he's a little error prone and I think the problem with platooning the two right now is if you've got one guy that plays a clean clean brand of football 
and doesn't make mistakes and is conservative and, and it just dumps down. And then you've got the, the electric Newton in there. Maybe it makes sense, but they, there's too many mistakes from PJ Walker, I think, to keep giving him reps. I like PJ again. I'll get a lot of respect. If I had to guess, no matter what Jack Del Rio is saying, and I know he's got a plan for both. That's smart. Matt Rule has said, hey, you know, we, we were leaning Cam now. We're sort of trending that direction. I don't think it's necessarily a PR play either. It's going to be a big day at Bank of America Stadium. You want to see as much Newton as possible from our standpoint covering this game. But from a football perspective, I think it's wise. If he's up to speed, and I think it'll be a truncated version of Joe Brady's playbook, which needs to be truncated anyway because it's been a little too wide now at times, dumb it down a little bit, get back to what Newton does best, and not to say Newton's dumb. Quite the contrary. Newton is very sophisticated with playbooks. He's learned several of them. Mike Shula, Rob Chudzinski, Josh McDaniels. This will be the fourth now. And North Turner as well, fifth. So I think Cam will get the start. I think Cam will come out of the tunnel. It'll be electric. But hey, Al, they got to win. If they lose this game to a Washington team that, uh, they're, you know, big win last week, but if they lose, the good vibes start to, you know, fly away a little bit. Yeah, I hear you on that. And we're looking at things the exact same way here. In Washington, we're previewing Washington at Carolina with John Ellis, the co-host of The Roar, which is a Carolina Panthers podcast. So Christian McCaffrey has been back these last two weeks of having missed five games due to a hamstring injury. How has McCaffrey looked? Oh, he's been great, Al. You know, the first game back against the Patriots, there were some limited reps there. They sort of snuck him in here and there in some packages early on. And you could tell Matt Rule wanted to get him back on the field. But when you got soft tissue injury issues in terms of the hamstring, you don't want to rush that thing back. One thing to note about Carolina's schedule, since David Tepper put in artificial turf, they're playing almost exclusively on artificial grass this year, Al. They've got like two games on natural grass, which players do not like, obviously. So they're taking good care of McCaffrey, giving him a little extra time. But last week, you know, I thought he was great against Arizona. Came in, once again, complimented Newton very well when they were in the game together. And that's one thing that I studied on tape over the years with Newton and McCaffrey is that sort of mesh point read option where Newton is as good as anybody in the league that I've ever seen in terms of holding that ball until the last second and then making that end commit, make a decision. And now you've got a Washington defense whose two defensive ends that are studs are going to miss this game. Obviously inside you've got some great defensive tackles. But I think they'll go back to that with McCaffrey, with Newton. They'll emphasize hitting the edge, wide zone, but also the read option and trying to put these ends who are young but talented in conflict. McCaffrey, once again, though, I know the linebacking core in Washington, from what I've seen on tape, has been sort of up and down this year in terms of coverage. That's an area I think Carolina can try to exploit. Uh, but once again, I, I would just say McCaffrey brings you so much value in terms of catching, running the football, read option, and also pass protection, too. He's very good there. Interesting to hear what you said about the Panthers potentially employing some read option on Sunday. Washington, in its win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in Week 2, had a lot of problems defending the read option. Uh, You mentioned the Panthers' offensive line. How has the Panthers' offensive line done so far this season? Well, I, I would say bad for a long time. And I think what they've done here is they finally got settled in on a group of five they can start to roll with here. As you know, Al, when you shuffle guys in and out all season in the NFL up front, you're never going to finish with a winning record. It's almost unheard of. You just can't operate that way. And that's what they were faced with early on. They went out day one in free agency, signed Cameron Irving, the left tackle journeyman. Not a bad player, but certainly not your franchise left tackle. 
and Pat Elfline, uh, the guard who is now playing center and playing pretty well there. But they finally got a connection here going. They got Dennis Daly at left tackle, who's playing okay. Brady Christensen, the rookie, saw some time there too late in the game. They ultimately want to see the third rounder Christensen have a starting role on one of the tackle sides, presumably left because Taylor Moten is the very good right tackle they locked up this offseason. Uh, I think the line right now, cohesively, they have a kid named Michael Jordan, not the basketball player. They have a Michael Jordan who is the same size as the other Michael Jordan. From North Carolina, but uh, left guard Michael Jordan is playing very well in the power game as well. So pass protection, you know, it's still an issue. Al, I think if they get a situation where Newton, uh, much like Sam Darnold, is sort of a sitting duck there, and the guy, like again, Payne, Jonathan Allen, can get pressure inside, and that's been the soft spot all year for Carolina. I think Newton can mitigate some of that to a degree versus what Darnold and Bridgewater were able to do. But, but it's still his second game, no, first and a half game, really, of the season when you count total playing time. You don't want Newton chasing around all day long in the Carolina. They just got to continue to operate within structure, run the football, make that their emphasis, play small ball in the passing game, get it out quick, because they can be eaten up alive at any moment. They've had a good streak going here, but it's not a very good group cohesively. The Panthers' defense, uh, statistically, it has been one of the best in the NFL. What's going well for the defense, and what, if anything, is concerning with the defense? Oh, man, you know, look, it's it's been really fun out watching this defense all season. I'd say the one game they really sort of got bullied around a little bit on was the Dallas game. Uh, you think back to maybe early part of the New England game, they got pushed around a little bit in the run game. Uh, the Giants game, to me, they played very well in that game. It's just Sam Darnold threw to ghost again at MetLife Stadium, and that put them in the hole. Uh, no, they're, they're really good on all three levels. I mean, we talk about the defensive line. Let me give your listeners sort of a, a primer on what to expect here. Brian Burns, who was uh, gator-rolled by Mac Jones a couple of weeks ago, still kind of dealing with some nagging stuff from that injury. Uh, did not play a lot of snaps last week, but had some impact in terms of, you know, drawing double teams, freeing up Hassan Reddick, who, by the way, has been superior this year, well on his way to maybe a 15-sack season, well on his way to a big contract. Inside, though, they've added some guys. Morgan Fox, the veteran defensive tackle, who can also play in from the Rams last season, has been great inside at three technique. Derek Brown, of course, the former first-round pick, has matured and grown into a nice role there. Jaquan Jones, I mean, they reminds me a little bit of these old Panthers teams from the, the John Fox era, where they could go too deep at every position along the line. And as you know, being in the NFC East there and, and, and just watching teams like the Giants over the years that have done this, when you can go that deep on the line and rotate in and out, uh, it just helps your defense so much. That's where they stay fresh. Linebacker-wise, Shaq Thompson's having a career season right now. Uh, he's sort of picking up the mantle for the recently retired Luke Keekley. Um, I don't expect him to come back. I <laughs> know Cam's here, but I think Luke's happy where he is, fly fishing and enjoying life. Although Thomas Davis was in practice the other day, so you never know what these bets. You never know. I don't think Thomas is coming back either. He's living a good life, too. Uh, Jermaine Carter, another linebacker from your neck of the woods up in Maryland, playing good football down here, number four. You'll recognize him on the field as the guy playing beside uh, Shaq there in the middle. And on the back end, it was unfortunate with J.C. Horn because they passed on some quarterbacks there to draft this very dynamic corner from South Carolina. He was hurt in the Houston game week three. He's been out since. But they've picked up the pieces. They've added A.J. Bouye in the offseason, the veteran. He's played the slot, played a little bit outside. Uh, Dante Jackson has played exceptional football this season on the back end. 
Jeremy Chin is always the X Factor. I mean, he's sort of kind of our mini Troy Palomalo, I guess we could say. Not nearly at that level, but yeah, he's the nephew of Steve Atwater, by the way. And they play a similar type of brand of football, downhill, attacking, in the box. But he can cover, too. So, defensively, Phil Snow likes to play. Defensive coordinator, of course, Phil Snow, likes to play a lot of man this year. Likes to blitz a lot, bringing a little extra heat. So, I would look for a lot of that. Look for a lot of Shaq Thompson inside, some double, you know, A-gap type of stuff. But once again, if you can block up Burns and Reddick, you at least have a chance. I think the problem here is Heineke can move around, and that does concern them a little bit. We've seen Taylor Heineke here in Carolina. I was impressed by his, you know, moxie, his mobility, his ability to throw off platform. Uh, I wouldn't say this is a light challenge for Carolina. I think it's a much bigger challenge than Colt McCoy, in fact. Yeah. Uh, and we had Colt McCoy here for years, and I don't think that many people listening to this would disagree with you on that. So Washington, as I'm sure you know, now is called Panthers North because of all of the former Panthers now working for Washington. Among those people is Marty Herney. Uh, what is the book on Marty Herney from a Carolina perspective? I talked a lot about Marty when Washington hired him in January. His track record with the Panthers is very mixed. He seems to have been fired for the second time as Panthers general manager due to not being on board with analytics. But you tell me, what should we as Washington fans think about Marty Herney? Well, Marty, first of all, is very well respected among some of the former players that obviously some of them, <laughs> he made them very rich. So obviously there's a lot of mutual respect there. But in terms of his evaluation skills and, and his ability to, to get on the road and do that, Marty was a newspaper guy back in the day. You know his story. Yeah. So, you know, from your neck of the woods out there. Came into this business, learned under the Bethard, you know, uh, Bobby Bethard. And um, I think the big thing with Marty's legacy here, what I can tell you is he had, there was some frustration in terms of Marty Hurdy did not exactly um, cement his legacy necessarily in terms of being a great general manager. And it's disappointing, I'm sure, for him because he had some good team-building years. He helped build a very good team with John Fox that went to two NFC title games, one Super Bowl, and then another divisional round in 2008. Uh, the problem there towards the end of that tenure, he overextended with Jake DeLone, with some of the running backs, uh, got themselves in a real tapped hell for a while. And then you, you bring in the polar opposite with Dave Gettleman, who's just an absolute, you know, very unpleasant for a lot of people to be around in that building. All business, uh, a lot of gusto, cleaned up the cap, cut a lot of fat off the roster, including one Steve Smith, who is no fat at all. He's the greatest player in franchise history, arguably. Uh, ruffled a lot of feathers. And then Hardy all of a sudden comes back for a second tour of duty. And we're all looking around like, okay, this is weird. This is odd. They fired Gettleman, middle of this offseason here. And here comes Marty Hardy for a mulligan to that point. I think he did some decent things. He stabilized things a little bit. When Richardson had that scandal in 2017 that broke out, he and Ron Rivera worked very closely together. And I think that's part of the reason why you see them together now. They built a, a real close bond there. They drafted Cam Newton together. They drafted guys like Luke Keekley together. So there's a history there. Uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Marty, um, but I think there, there are a lot of fans out there that don't consider him to be the best GM that this team has had. I would just say to that, Dave Gettleman didn't exactly knock home runs out of the park, and Scott Fitter to be determined. So, um, yeah, Marty's a good dude. I hope, he, uh, hope he's doing well up there. All right, good to get your perspective on that. John Ellis, the co-host of The Roar, which is a Carolina Panthers podcast. He also hosts a show in Afternoon Drive on 104.9 Fox Sports Upstate 
in South Carolina. John, really appreciate the time. All the best. All right, my friend. You too. Have a good one. All right, my friends. The research is just about complete. The preparation is just about done. It is that time. The time to rhyme. It is time for rhyming keys, as I will rhyme the path to victory for the Washington football team in its game at the Carolina Panthers Sunday afternoon at one. Oh, these rhymes are not meant to be good. They are simply meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Rhyming keys for Washington at Carolina. How does Washington win this game? Let us rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for Taylor Heineke and Washington's offensive line. Don't be pathetic against Burns and Redick. The Panthers are one of the best defensive teams in the NFL. Panthers through Week 10 for Football Outsiders DVOA metric were number three in the NFL in total defense and number two in the NFL in pass defense, although the Panthers also were just number 19 in the NFL in run defense. But a big reason for the Panthers' defensive success this season has been the Panthers' pass rush. The Panthers through Week 10 were number two in the NFL in team sack percentage at 8.21. Edge rusher Hassan Redick, who plays linebacker, has nine and a half sacks. Edge rusher Brian Burns, who plays defensive end, has six sacks. Now, Washington's offensive line has been very good this season. Washington's offensive line has not gotten enough credit for this. So Washington, through Week 10, was number four in the NFL in ESPN's team pass block win rate and was number one in the NFL in ESPN's team run block win rate. But Taylor Heineke, in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last Sunday, did take five sacks. And it sure seemed like at least a few of those sacks were on him. Uh, what comes to mind is the second snap on Washington's sixth offensive drive, which resulted in a third quarter three and out. On a second and nine at the Washington nine, Taylor Heineke had a good bit of time, but ended up taking a sack by interior defensive lineman Indomitian Sue for a seven-yard loss, giving Washington a third and 16 at the team's two. Uh, that's a sack that you cannot take, and yet Heineke took it. Heineke was very good against the Bucks, but the taking of some sacks was a nit to pick. And so rhyming key number one for Taylor Heineke and Washington's offensive line, don't be pathetic against Burns and Redick. Rhyming key number two for Washington at Carolina. This is for Washington's defense. Prove that your performance against Tom Brady was no sham in what you do against Cam. It's hard to know what the Panthers' offense will be like with Cam Newton back as their starting quarterback, assuming that Cam is the Panthers' starting quarterback. We know who Cam is, but what exactly he has left and how exactly head coach Matt Rule and his staff will handle Cam is hard to say. So let's go by something for which there are plenty of data points this season, Washington's defense. It remains remarkable that Washington's defense last Sunday had the defense's best game of the season, right? Washington's defense last Sunday had the defense's best game of the season in this win over the Bucs, despite A, facing an elite offense in that of the Bucs, B, facing the GOAT, the greatest quarterback ever in Tom Brady, C, 
playing the entire game without Montez Sweat, and D, playing most of the game without Chase Young. A major reason that Washington was able to do this was the secondary. Washington's secondary that had been awful this season has been better lately and was quite good in this win over the Bucks. And I'm not just talking about, say, the two first quarter interceptions of Brady. The secondary communicated well. Uh, you saw little, if any, communication breakdowns, the likes of which were so glaring and so maddening in September and October. Also, the secondary tackled well. You know, when Bucks players made catches, those players got taken down. Something that I said throughout Washington's struggles on defense this season was that it was hard for me to believe that that truly was what this defense was. I always had a hard time buying into the idea that the defense was just this bad. There's too much talent on this defense for it to be the trash defense that it was in September and October. And maybe, just maybe, this defense finally is getting its act together. But here's the deal. If the secondary has actually finally gotten its act together, uh, honestly, that changes everything for this Washington defense. That is a game changer for this season. You know, as bad as both Chase Young and Montez Sweat being on the reserve injured list is, the secondary getting its act together, the secondary becoming good is a bigger deal in terms of this Washington defense this season if, in fact, the secondary is getting its act together. If, in fact, the secondary is becoming good. And time will tell on that. You know, we just don't know. We can't say anything with certainty right now. A big tell is going to be this performance at the Panthers on Sunday. And so rhyming key number two for Washington's defense, prove that your performance against Tom Brady was no sham in what you do against Cam. And rhyming key number three for Washington at Carolina. This is for the Washington football team as a whole. Establish a lead at this team of Matt Rule in order to make David Tepper feel like a fool. To what extent Washington players want to win this game specifically because it is Ron Rivera's return to Carolina of the Panthers having fired him as their head coach off a home loss to, remember, Washington in December 2019? I do not know, but I do know this. Ron, for darn sure, wants to win this game, wants to stick it to the Panthers owner, David Tepper. Not that Ron necessarily hates Tepper, but come on, if you're competitive and we know that Ron is competitive, you're dying to win a game in a circumstance like this one if you're Ron Rivera. One of the biggest reasons that Washington beat the Bucks was that Washington played so much of the game with a lead. Yes, this thing called a lead. Uh, it had become a foreign concept to us as Washington fans. Do you know this? So Joey Sly in the win over the Bucks, connected on a first quarter 28-yard field goal to give Washington a 6-0 lead. That 6-0 lead incredibly matched Washington's largest lead of the season up until that point. How pathetic is that? That win over the Bucks took place in Week 10. And in the first quarter of Week 10, a 6-0 lead matched your largest lead of the season up until that point. Playing with a lead, especially in the second half, allows you to do so many more things offensively and defensively. Washington jumping out to a lead in this game at the Panthers would be big, but it won't be easy. You know, this very good Panthers defense is allowing just 23.1 yards per drive, number one in the NFL through week 10. 
This very good Panthers defense has allowed just 10.5% of opponents' plays to be red zone plays, the lowest such rate in the NFL through Week 10. When Washington is in the red zone on Sunday, Washington needs to capitalize. But somehow, someway, Washington's offense and defense need to complement each other. Play complementary football, as people like to say, and get Washington the lead, preferably early. That could make all of the difference. And so rhyming key number three for the Washington football team as a whole, establish a lead at this team of Matt Rule in order to make David Tepper feel like a fool. Prediction time. Washington per Caesars Sportsbook as of a very early Friday morning is plus three and a half. Uh, We in no way are at a point at which we can trust this Washington football team, but the Panthers aren't great. And to me, if Taylor Heineke plays as he did last Sunday, and that's an if, right? But if he does, Washington can win this game. Washington will again have the advantage at quarterback if Heineke plays as he did last Sunday. If Heineke plays as he did last Sunday, Heineke greater than sign Cam. And if you have the better quarterback play, you almost always have a really good shot at winning. Gimme Washington plus the points. Washington 26, Carolina 17. We turn our attention now to college football. Goldilocks for week 12 of the college football season. You've surely heard of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Well, this is Goldilocks, my weekly college football picks against the spreads from Maryland Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. 3-0 and last week, 21-15 and is the overall record on the season. Yes, six games above 500 on the season. We have a saying for that in the gambling world, or at least Snoop Dogg and I have a saying for that in the gambling world. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Exactly, Snoop. Thank you. And so here we go. All odds from Caesar's Sportsbook as of a very early Friday morning. Goldilocks game number one, Maryland home to number six, Michigan, Saturday afternoon, at 3.30, the Terrapins are plus 16. Uh, Terps have two regular season games left. Two more chances to get to six wins. Home to number six, Michigan, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And then at Rutgers, Saturday, November 27th. Terps fell to 5-5 five and five with a 40-21 loss at then number seven, Michigan State, last Saturday. Terps defense was not good. Uh, Terps allowed Michigan State to go 8-13 on third downs. Terps allowed Michigan State quarterback Peyton Thorne to average 9.26 yards per pass attempt and to have four touchdown passes versus one interception. And the interception was an end zone interception on the final snap of the first half. Thorne's first touchdown pass, a 52-yard bomb on a flea flicker on the game's first offensive drive. Now, the Terps did hold Michigan State's stud running back, Kenneth Walker III, to 4.8 yards per carry off him having entered the game averaging 6.8 yards per carry for the season. But Walker still finished with 30 carries for a buck 43 and two touchdowns. As for Maryland's offense, Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, a very mixed game. Uh, the bad for Talia, he threw a killer red zone interception, which came on a first and 10 at the Michigan State 16 on uh, the first offensive drive of the second half with the Terps trailing 27-14. Talia threw for 350 yards, but on 48 pass attempts, that works out to a yards per pass attempt 
of just 7.29. Uh, Talia took four sacks, including a sack strip, and committed three second-half intentional grounding penalties. Talia quarterback to Maryland offense that went just 3 of 13 on third downs. Now, there were positives for Talia Tungavailoa. He had two first and 10 32-yard touchdown passes to tight end Chigozem Okonkwo, who finished with eight receptions for 112 yards and two touchdowns. Talia did connect a bunch with receiver Rakim Jarrett, who had 10 receptions for 105 yards. And Talia did have a late first quarter, third and three, 45-yard shotgun run down the left sideline. But the bottom line is that Maryland this season has gotten exposed in games against ranked Big Ten teams. And the Terps on Saturday will be facing, wait for it, a ranked Big Ten team. Uh, Michigan is number six in the latest college football playoff rankings. Wolverines are 9-1, and one, are coming off a 21-17 win at Penn State last Saturday. Wolverines won that game despite being without one half of their Thunder and Lightning running back duo. Blake Corum did not play due to an ankle injury. Uh, Hassan Haskins, though, did play. He had 31 carries for 156 yards and five receptions for 45 yards. There may be no better running back duo in the country than Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, although Corum may be out again on Saturday due to his ankle injury. Uh, Wolverines quarterback Cade McNamara, he threw week 11, was number 11 in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR at 78.1. Michigan is an elite team. Uh, Michigan through week 11 was number eight in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN and number 12 in the FBS in defensive efficiency for ESPN. To me, you in no way can trust Maryland against ranked Big Ten teams. The history for the Terps against ranked Big Ten teams since joining the Big Ten is atrocious. And that's not just a previous season's thing. That is a this season thing. October 1st, a 51-14 loss to then number five Iowa at Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium in College Park. October 9th, a 66-17 loss at then number seven, Ohio State. November 13th, a 40-21 loss at then number seven, Michigan State. The public is all over Michigan. That's fine. Give me Michigan, minus 16. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, thank you, Snoop. Goldilocks game number two, Virginia at number 18, Pitt. Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The Cavaliers are plus 14 and a half. This is a big game in the ACC's Coastal Division. Cavs have two regular season games left at number 18 Pitt on Saturday afternoon at 3.30 and then home to Virginia Tech on Saturday, November 27th. Pitt leads the ACC Coastal Division, but the Cavs can still win it. Uh, Cavs will win the Coastal and get a spot in the ACC Championship game if they win their final two regular season games. The big question for Virginia at Pitt clearly is whether Brennan Armstrong will play. He is having a great season. He suffered a rib injury in the Cavs' 66-49 loss at then number 25 BYU on October 30th. He did not play in their game last Saturday night, what was a 28-3 loss to then number 9 Notre Dame at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville. If Armstrong plays at Pitt on Saturday afternoon, then a classic quarterback duel is on. Brennan Armstrong versus Kenny Pickett, two of the best quarterbacks in the country. But if Armstrong does not play at Pitt on Saturday afternoon, then, well, uh, things may get ugly, as they were last Saturday night in that Wahoos loss to Notre Dame. The Hoos fell to 6-4 and four as true freshman Jay Woolfolk was their starting quarterback. He became the first true freshman to start at quarterback for Virginia 
since 1977, and the results were not good. Uh, Wolfolk went just 18-33 for just 196 yards. That's 5.94 yards per pass attempt. Wolfolk had no touchdown passes versus two interceptions. Wolfolk took seven sacks. Wolfolk quarterback to whose offense that scored just three points and went just five of 14 on third downs. Now, not helping matters is UVA being without running back Wayne Taulapapa. He did not play. Look, this was a tough spot for Wolfolk. First collegiate start as a true freshman facing Notre Dame, which has a good defense in prime time, but the results were bad. Pitt is a really good team. Eight and two coming off a 30-23 overtime win over North Carolina. Now, two Thursday nights ago, November 11th, Pitt through week 11 was number 16 in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN and number 11 in the FBS in defensive efficiency for ESPN. That's the thing. The Panthers aren't just about Kenny Pickett. The Panthers can play defense, but the Panthers are about Kenny Pickett quite a bit. Uh, He is tremendous. Pickett through week 11 was number six in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR at 84. He has 32 touchdown passes versus four interceptions. And consider this, even if Brendan Armstrong does play, he'll be facing a good pit defense. Pickett, on the other hand, will be facing a woeful UVA defense. Virginia through week 11 was 111th in the FBS in defensive efficiency for ESPN. Virginia just a few games ago gave up 66 points in a loss at BYU. Give me Pitt minus 14 and a half. Goldilocks game number three, Virginia Tech at Miami, Saturday night at 7.30. The Hokies are plus seven and a half. Well, you don't have Justin Fuente to push around anymore, now do you? The big announcement this week, Virginia Tech on Tuesday morning announcing that the school and head coach Justin Fuente had, quote, mutually agreed to part ways end quote. Yes, I'm sure that that decision was entirely mutual. Uh, J.C. Price was named as Tech's interim head coach for the rest of the season. He had been Tech's co-defensive line coach and defensive recruiting coordinator. So who knows what to expect? I mean, maybe Tech rallies behind J.C. Price, as we will see teams do for interim head coaches, or maybe Tech wilts over its final two regular season games. The Hokies are coming off a blowout win, albeit over lowly Duke. The Hokies improved to 5-5 five five with a 48-17 win over Duke at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg last Saturday. This was the Hokies' final home game of the season, and they smashed what is a terrible Duke team that fell to 0-6 in the ACC. Hokies scored 48 points, put up 573 total net yards of offense, averaged 9.7 yards per play. Braxton Burmeister was the Hokie starting quarterback. This despite him having left their previous game, the 17-3 loss at Boston College on November 5th due to injury. Burmeister in this blowout of Duke, 9 of 15, but for 215 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception, took no sacks, averaged 14.33 yards per pass attempt, and he had nine carries for 71 yards. Hokies ran the ball exceptionally well. Running back Raheem Blackshear had 12 carries for 117 yards and a touchdown. Running back Keyshawn King had nine carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. Also playing last Saturday was Hokies receiver Trey Turner. Uh, He played off having missed the loss at Boston College due to injury. Had one reception for 29 yards and two carries for eight yards. Interesting situation with Trey Turner. He's dealing with a throat injury with which he's not supposed to fly. So he was being driven down to Florida to play this game. 
The Miami Hurricanes, uh, like the Hokies, are 5-5. Five and five. Miami is coming off a 31-28 loss at Florida State last Saturday, but that loss snapped a three-game winning streak for the Hurricanes, one that included a 31-30 win over then-number 18 NC State on October 23rd and a 38-34 win at then-number 17 Pitt on October 30th. The Hurricanes starting quarterback, De'Ara King, uh, is done for the season due to a shoulder injury, and so the Canes starting quarterback has been Tyler Van Dyke, and he's doing a terrific job. Tyler Van Dyke through week 11 was number 14 in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR at 77.8. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke in that Miami win at Pitt on Halloween weekend, 32 of 42 for 426 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. The public is all over Virginia Tech, but give me Miami minus seven and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. And Goldilocks game number four, Navy. Home to East Carolina, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The midshipmen are plus four. Uh, mids are coming off a bye. Mids fell to two and seven with a 34-6 loss at then number 10 Notre Dame on November 6. The game was closed for a while. Navy trailed by just a 10-3 count late in the first half, but then gave up a third and seven 70-yard touchdown pass by Notre Dame quarterback Jack Cohn to receiver Kevin Austin Jr. with 50 seconds left in the second quarter. And the game ended up being a rout. Midshipman got outgained 430-184. Midshipman averages 3.1 yards per play to Notre Dame's 7 yards per play. And the midshipman went just 4 15 on third downs to Notre Dame going 7 to 13 on third downs. Navy's defense wasn't horrible, but it wore down as the game went on. Navy's offense was the bigger problem. And Navy quarterback Ty Lovatai left the game in the first half due to a neck injury and did not return. The Pirates of East Carolina, uh, they are 6-4, and four, have won three straight. They're coming off a 30-29 win at Memphis last Saturday. ECU has a running back named Keaton Mitchell. Keaton Mitchell through week 11 was number four in the FBS in yards per carry at 7.07, and that's on 139 carries. That's not unlike 40 carries. That's pretty impressive. 7.07 yards per carry over 139 carries on the season. It seems strange that Navy is only a four-point underdog, doesn't it? Navy is two and seven and coming off a blowout loss. ECU is six and four and coming off three consecutive wins. And yet ECU is favored by just four. The point spread reeks of it begging you to take the Pirates. When Vegas wants you to do one thing, you should almost always do the other thing. And so give me Navy plus four. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, so to review, Michigan minus 16, Pitt minus 14 and a half, Miami minus seven and a half, and Navy plus four. Those are your Goldilocks for college football week 12. Well, rough night for the Wizards on Thursday night. They fell to 10 and five, a 112-97 loss at the Miami Heat. This off a 97-87 loss at the Charlotte Hornets on Wednesday night. We're not used to this with these Wizards this season. Them losing two consecutive games had only happened one other time this season. But the Wizards really were set up to lose on Thursday night. One, they were playing the second game of a set of back-to-back -back games on the road. Two, the Wizards were playing at a good team in the Heat. And three, the Wizards were missing a truckload of players. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, did not play due to right knee injury maintenance. 
Uh, that's what was listed in the NBA's official game book, right knee injury maintenance. Uh, we knew that this was coming. Uh, the Wizards had Dinwiddie rest and not play in the second game of a back-to-back. Uh, remember, Dinwiddie suffered a partially torn right ACL last December 27th. So trying to rest that knee, not overwork it in this early portion of the season. But Dinwiddie did not play. Daniel Gafford did not play due to a right thumb sprain. Davies Bertans did not play again. He's now missed eight consecutive games due to a left ankle sprain. The Wizards remained without Rui Hachimura, who has yet to play this season due to personal reasons. And the Wizards remained without Thomas Bryant, who has yet to play this season uh, due to his own partially torn ACL. Bryant partially tore his left ACL this past January 9th. And so with the Wizards missing all of these players in the second game of a set of back-to-back road games, playing at a good team in the heat, we got a rare, no doubt, Wizards loss this season. The Wizards never led in the second half. The Wizards allowed the Heat in the third quarter to go on a 26-13 run. The Wizards committed 17 turnovers to the Heat 6. The Wizards went just 6 of 10 on free throws. The Heat went 20 of 24 on free throws. Uh, The Wizards allowed the Heat to go 31 of 56 on twos and score 50 points in the paint. I mean, on and on I can go in terms of how the Wizards got outplayed by the Heat. The Wizards had no answer for Jimmy Butler. Uh, Butler was terrific on Thursday night. 11 of 18 on twos, 10 of 10 on free throws, finished with 32 points, five assists versus one turnover and four steals. Wizards had a tough time of defending the paint. The Wizards had a tough time of defending without fouling. Did shoot the three well. Uh, The Wizards went 15 of 36 on threes and three guys in particular stood out. Uh, Bradley Beal, three of eight on threes, eight of 10 on twos. He finished with 30 points. This, by the way, was just the third 30-point game for Beal in 12 games this season. That's the thing. The Wizards are 10 and five or 10 and three prior to these last two games. And, you know, Beal really has not caught fire yet this season. Does get to 30 points on Thursday night. Six rebounds, five assists in 36 minutes, 19 seconds as a starter. He did, though, commit six turnovers. Uh, Kyle Kuzma was good on Thursday night, 4-9 on threes. He finished with 19 points, 13 rebounds, and seven assists versus three turnovers in 40 minutes, eight seconds as a starter. And Corey Kispert had maybe not a breakout game. That's probably overstating things, but he at least showed you that he can play, and he got to play uh, in this game. So Corey Kispert is the guy who the Wizards took with the number 15 pick in the 2021 NBA draft at a Gonzaga. Uh, he on Thursday night went 3-7 on threes, finished with 13 points and four rebounds in 24 minutes, 15 seconds off the bench. It was good to see Corey get some run and do some things. Uh, Kispert was an excellent three-point shooter at Gonzaga. I like the pick when the Wizards made it. Uh, he just hasn't played a ton and really hasn't played all that well so far this season. It was good to see him play uh, well on Thursday night. But otherwise, this was a bad night for the Wizards. Look, they are entitled to the occasional bad night. And again, I mean, it's understandable that the Wizards had this bad night given the circumstances of the game. Next up for the Wiz, a rematch with the Heat at Capital One Arena, Saturday night at 7. All right, so this has been awards week in Major League Baseball in terms of the major awards, those voted on by the BBWAA, the Baseball Writers Association of America. Uh, Thursday evening was the big evening, the announcements of the winners of the MVP awards for each league for the 2021 regular season. And sadly, 
Juan Soto of the Nationals did not win National League MVP. Ex-Nat Bryce Harper of the Philadelphia Phillies won the award. Yes, our old pal Brycey is an MVP once again. Uh, Soto, Harper, and Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres had been announced as the three finalists for National League MVP. The voting ended up really not being all that close. Uh, Harper received 17 of 30 first place votes. Soto, in coming in second, got six of 30 first place votes. Uh, Ex-Nat Trey Turner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, by the way, received one of the 30 first place votes. In terms of who most deserved NL MVP, that really was based on what you want to value. Uh, People have all kinds of criteria when it comes to voting for MVP or when it comes to who those people think should win MVP. I'm very big on looking at the best advanced stats and going by those numbers. I I don't care about what a player's team did. MVP to me is about which player's season you would most want for your team if you were a general manager. MVP to me is about individual excellence. Harper bested Soto in a number of key categories. Uh, F-War, which is Fangraph's version of war, wins above replacement. Uh, Weighted runs created plus, which is maybe the single best stat for batting. OPS plus, which is another great stat for batting. Win probability added, which is the quantifying of clutch, how much win probability that you add. Uh, Harper outdid Soto in all of those categories. So Bryce Harper was a more than worthy National League MVP award recipient for the 2021 regular season. Now, Soto bested Harper in some key categories, including B-War, which is baseball references version of war and uh, is the more widely used war. But to sit here and yell and scream about Bryce Harper winning National League MVP and Juan Soto not winning National League MVP, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I think that would be ridiculous. Each guy was worthy of winning for the 2021 regular season. I still, by the way, do not think that the Nats should regret having not re-signed Bryce Harper. He was not nearly the superstar player for the Nats that people made him out to be. He, over his first three seasons with the Phillies, has been very good. Uh, He was especially good this past season, but let's see where we're at with Harper in a few years. Remember, the Phillies signed Bryce Harper to a 13-year, $330 million contract. We have 10 years left on that contract. 10 years, a decade. And next season will be Harper's age 29 season. Let's see how that contract looks when Harper is in his mid-30s seasons. But hey, good for Bryce Harper, okay? He becomes just the fifth player in Major League history to win an MVP award with each of two franchises. Joins Frank Robinson, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, and Jimmy Fox. I mean, that is elite company, okay? I mean, put aside A-Rod if you want because of the PEDs, but Frank, and Barry Bonds too, I guess, but Frank Robinson, Jimmy Fox, okay? (laughs) We're down to two of the four other guys who did this, but you get the idea. Like, that's a special achievement to win an MVP with each of two franchises. Uh, While we're talking nationals, I do want to make mention of something, and that is this revamping of Nats player development. So the number one takeaway from the Nats' terrible 2021 season in which they went 65 and 97 was that their player development was failing and failing miserably. Uh, The farm system was in really bad shape. Players in the Nats organization had been getting worse, not better. Things were really bad. I mean, that's a huge part of why we had the massive sell-off in late July. The Nationals trading away eight players 
for 12 prospects. Well, we've been seeing some changes to the Nationals organization this offseason. Among those changes, the Nats on Tuesday promoted Dijon Watson, not Deshaun Watson, Dijon Watson, to Director of Player Development. Uh, Dijon Watson has spent the previous five seasons, 2017 through 2021, as a special assistant to President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo. Uh, Watson led the Los Angeles Dodgers player development system from 2007 through 2014, serving as the Dodgers Vice President of Player Development for three seasons, 2012 through 2014, and as the Dodgers Assistant General Manager for Player Development for five seasons, 2007 through 2011. So that right there should get your attention because the Dodgers have really become, if not the envy of Major League Baseball, then certainly among the model franchises in Major League Baseball. And John Watson played a role in getting the Dodgers to where they've been at for quite some time now. Uh, Watson served as the Arizona Diamondbacks Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations for the 2015 and 2016 seasons. This coming season will mark Watson's 37th season in professional baseball. Uh, He takes over a job that essentially had been held by two people in the Nationals organization, in Bob Boone and Mark Shalaba. Uh, Boone deported the Nats organization due to choosing not to comply with the Nats' COVID-19 vaccine mandate, and Shalaba was moved to a new role as assistant general manager for player personnel. Look, I am not going to sit here and tell you that Dejon Watson is so much better than Bob Boone and Mark Shalaba. I mean, I don't know. I don't think most people know. You know, is Dejon Watson going to slay it for the Nats as director of player development? Who the heck knows? You know, uh, when it comes to baseball executives, there is a lot that we don't know. But I do know this. The Nats were in dire need of some new faces, some new blood, some new ideas in the front office. Uh, The front office has not gotten the job done in recent years when it comes to drafting and developing players. And yes, ultimately, that rests on the desk of Mike Rizzo, okay? And I'm a big Mike Rizzo fan, okay? He is the ninja to me because he is masterful when it comes to trades. But the organization over which he presides has not done a good job in recent years when it comes to drafting and developing players. Uh, Also, the Nats this month have promoted Lee Mendelowitz to Senior Director of Baseball Research and Development, which is essentially the analytics department. Now, analytics aren't necessarily player development, although analytics can play a sizable role in your player development, depending on how much you want to utilize your analytics department. Uh, Mandelowitz first joined the Nats in May 2014 as an analyst in baseball research and development. He replaces Nationals Assistant General Manager of Baseball Research and Development, Sam Madri Cohen, who in September informed the Nats that he would not return once his contract expired at the end of the season. Now, the person who broke this news, Nationals insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post, noted that while Madri Cohen did not have a new job lined up, Madri Cohen was planning to pursue opportunities with other major league clubs in the 2021-2022 offseason. So it's not like Sam Madri Cohen was leaving baseball for some other industry. Sam Madri Cohen was just leaving the Nationals and on his own accord. He had been in the Nats organization 
since 2009. The departure of Sam Madri Cohen, to me, was at least somewhat of an eyebrow raiser because you had to ask yourself, okay, well, why is this guy leaving the organization? He's been with the team for years. He's staying in the business of baseball. He's just leaving the Nats. Like The thing that I immediately thought about was, okay, is he leaving the Nats because he wasn't being listened to? Because this happens with a lot of analytics people. They're bright people. They're driven people. They're motivated people. They do a lot of good work. But a lot of these front offices don't always listen to the analytics people. And the analytics people are like, hey, I'll just go to another team, a team that places more of a value on what I do. So I wonder about that with Sam Madri Cohen. The Nats are not known for being an organization that is all in on analytics. Now, the Nats use analytics, but every major league team makes usage of analytics. The question is, are you all in on analytics the way that a number of the really good teams are. The Nats do not appear to be. Personally, I think that that needs to change. I think that that may well be a part of what has gotten the Nats into trouble. Now, this uh, new guy, Lee Mendelowitz, uh, who has been in the Nats organization, seems like a really smart guy. I just hope that his ideas are listened to by the Nationals. And maybe the ideas will be listened to. Maybe the ideas already are being listened to. Uh, A lot of this is speculative. A lot of this is based on stuff we don't know. Uh, Teams are very secretive when it comes to how much they make usage of analytics. So I'm not sitting here saying that Mike Rizzo wasn't listening to Sam Madri Cohen. I'm just wondering why did this guy Sam Madri Cohen up and leave the organization when his contract expired at the end of this past season? I think it's something to be pondering if you're a Nationals fan. You should be questioning everything with the Nationals right now with how bad things got this past season. Uh, There's more to what the Nats have done in terms of change. Uh, Randy Knorr, who had been the team's first base coach, has been named as the organization's new catching coordinator. Uh, Bob Henley, who had been the team's third base coach, has been named as the organization's new field coordinator. Sam Naren has been named as the organization's new pitching coordinator. Here's the bottom line. The Nats have got to get back to drafting well and developing well. Because here's the deal. For all of the talk about Juan Soto and his free agency, which is still years away, and, you know, what his agent Scott Boris says, and whether the learners will make a godfather offer to Soto over the next year or two, you know, $450 million, $500 million, whatever that offer might be, if the offer is ever made, you know, and whether Soto would accept such an offer and everything else, the Soto situation doesn't matter nearly as much as the Nats being able to draft and develop other Juan Sotos, okay? The best organizations like the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers continually churn out new stars. And that's what matters the most. The Juan Soto situation matters. I'm not trying to tell you that it doesn't, but it's kind of sort of this low-hanging fruit that everybody likes to latch onto. If you're a true Nats fan, what matters the most right now is that the Nats get back to drafting and developing well. The Nats have not been doing those things well, and that has cost them. All right, that will do it for you and me, but just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 192, will be a Washington football team postgame show 
off whatever happens in Washington's game at the Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon. Also, I will postgame a big college football Saturday with Maryland home to number six, Michigan, Virginia at number 18, Pitt, Virginia Tech at Miami, and Navy home to East Carolina. And I'll have some thoughts for you on the Capitals, Wizards, and Maryland, and Georgetown basketball. Caps will conclude their four-game trip out west with back-to-back games. Caps will be at the San Jose Sharks Saturday night at 10.30, and then at the Seattle Kraken Sunday night at 9. The Wizards will host the Miami Heat Saturday night at 7. Maryland basketball will host Hofstra Friday evening at 6.30, and Georgetown basketball will host Siena Friday evening at 6.30. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Your face is my case. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.